Happy New Year. I'm my, whoop, oh, sorry. I was like, did I just hear myself echo? <laughs> the, uh, so, yes, Happy New Year. Thank you. Actually, I was just like not expecting anybody to say that back. Um, or as I, I have been saying to my wife in um, our house, um, Welcome to the COVID Hunger Games, um, which is pretty much where we are at this stage in this season of life right now. Um, if it's in your life is indication of mine right now between even this morning, the number of people who uh, we found out who were couldn't, couldn't serve this morning, right, was because of COVID, then your life is probably surrounded by people you know who have it, who have gotten it, who have just gotten over it. And so um, may the odds forever be in your favor because you are still strong and you're here. So um, congratulations on making it to 2022. And uh, what I want to do today um, is really kick off a series that over the course of this month uh, we're going to unpack called Chasing Purpose. And this is a time of year where maybe not right now where we're all trying to figure out what's happening again, but where we naturally look at our lives and we reflect and we ask ourselves questions about where we've been and where we're going and do we want to get there and how we're going to get there. And I think if there's been anything the pandemic has given us over the last couple of years, it's been really a sense of pause to reflect on our lives and to ask ourselves questions and to really be thoughtful um, if you've embraced it. And so that's why this month, uh, one of the things I'm going to launch is, like I've said before on uh, previous messages or just updates, during the pandemic, one of the things that was a kind of a burning passion for me was I want to be a pastor who helps people experience the life that God created them to live. I believe sincerely there's going to be a day where um, the name of Jesus becomes the face of Jesus. And I want to help you get to that place, get to that moment, and to not look down like my two-year-old does when I catch him doing something wrong, but to look straight into his eyes knowing that you leveraged your life for the fullness, that you gave everything, that you don't walk in hoping you've got enough check boxes on one side to outweigh the other, but that you really understand who he is. So one of the things that I got certified in because we all had time, was in a process of life planning that is, even the word life planning doesn't really help me convey it to you, but essentially is, it's a really intense process where I walk with a group of people and through some assessments, through really intense exercises, I help you gain clarity uh, about why you were created and what you want to see come out of your life. And that may sound really bold, um, that may even sound almost crazy. The goal is really that you leave the process with two words that capture what your life is about. And that sounds even crazier. But the reality is I went through it, and it's a process that if you work that process, it actually works. So I'm excited that this year I'm going to actually roll that out. I'm going to take a small group of people. Um, I'm going to take about 12 people through the first time. And once I get that first group of 12 through, then I'll come back and I'll take even more through. Um, but it's intense. So I don't want to take a huge group of people through it first. Um, so just know that's going to be one of the things that I'm going to come out of this series. I'm going to say, hey, there are 12 spots. And if you want to sign up, you're committing to this process. And it's going to be intense. And you're not going to like me. But on the other side of this thing, there's going to be about 40 
huge white post-it notes of stuff that we've worked through that's going to get you to a place of not just clarity of why you were created, but what kind of plan to build out of that created form that says, okay, here's what my calendar is going to look like in light of why I was created. Here's the goals in my life. None of this kind of blind, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this this year. It's, it's like this is who I am. And this is how I'm going to live my life and leverage it. So I'm super excited about it. I'm really thrilled about walking the church through that deeper level. Um, even during the break we committed, um, we signed. Uh, we got one of my dear friends who is an, kind of an international CEO, leads a nonprofit who's transforming the lives of um, women in Togo, is going to actually be here with her husband on a marriage talk in March that we're going to do a marriage series um, but she's going to be doing a women's only event. And she has seven children. She runs an international business um, and is lifting and transforming the lives of people. We've actually partnered with her out of the Love Does offering uh, to help provide college scholarships so one of those young women can go to pharmacy school and become a pharmacist. So as a church, part of your generosity, even in Love Does, is you're actually helping this young woman become a pharmacist, which is incredible in any culture, but especially in the Togo culture, it's a huge deal. And so I'm thrilled about this year. And knowing that today was going to be a little different, I, I wanted to kind of start the conversation off with a little different because most people start their year with goals and things uh, they're going to start doing and things they're going to stop doing, right? Like I'm going to stop drinking chocolate milk because it's undoing me, right? That's maybe not you or me per se, but just hypothetically, if you had an addiction to Fair Life chocolate milk, then that might be something you would say, I'm going to stop drinking that, okay? It changes my budget if I do and I lose weight, okay, hypothetically. So, but you've probably got one of those kind of lists, but I actually think that there's something deeper that has to happen that precedes any significant change. Now, ultimately, the the message today, I'm going to really challenge you in your faith. But I think the dynamic that I'm going to talk about today and the story we're going to look at today actually translates into every single arena, regardless of your belief system. Uh, it's one of the core, I think, distinguishers between people who end up accomplishing the things they wanted to see happen in their lives. It's, it's not the silver bullet, but I think it's one one notch away from being the silver bullet. So whatever it is that you want to see in 2022, in your life, in your finances, in your relationships, um, I want to give you an ingredient that's going to help you get there. But it's an ingredient that, quite honestly, most of you probably aren't there yet. And this is why I love this story. Because in this story, it's one of my favorite moments in the ministry of Jesus there's this one guy who I want to introduce you to, who's probably my favorite guy in all of the Bible. We only get him for about seven or eight verses. But in that small glimpse of this moment with him, I think your life and my life can be transformed. And ultimately, if we're willing to follow his example, then not just our lives, but lives of people around us can be too. So, we're going to jump into Mark's gospel account, and we're going to read a couple verses. If you have the Encounter Church app, you can download it for free at EncounterChurch.com forward slash app. Um, you'll find the message notes, the Bible passage for today. It's all preloaded. 
Um, but I'm also going to have it on here. Mark is one of the biographical kind of accounts of the life of Jesus. Mark is most likely written from the eyewitness account of Peter, which will specifically be at play today because there will be details that would have only arisen from eyewitness accounts. And so Mark, who hears Peter tell the story, downloads the story, details the story, writes the shortest biographical account of the life of Jesus um, that we have, and it's called the book of Mark. So this is the final moments of Jesus' life. This is about 10 days before he's crucified. He's on the way to Jerusalem. And on the way to Jerusalem, he comes into Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, so Jesus and the 12, together with a large crowd, this massive group of people who are now following Jesus, because this is three years into Jesus' ministry, Jesus is essentially the equivalent, he's gone essentially the equivalent of viral for the day. People know who he is. People are talking about him. He's a miracle worker. He's doing extraordinary things. And it says that as they were leaving the city, now there's a little bit of a weirdness here where it says they came to Jericho and they're leaving the city. Jericho is, uh, has the distinct record of being one of the most continuous inhabited cities in human history. It's one of the oldest cities on planet Earth that's been continuously inhabited. Now, Jericho is also a little unique in that there is an old Jericho and there is a new Jericho. The old Jericho used to have really large walls. And in the account that we see in the book of Joshua, those walls fell in a miraculous response to God's work. And when those walls fell, the Jewish people conquering the city of Jericho believed that this city was now cursed and the, the walls should never be rebuilt. And so when they rebuilt Jericho, they moved over a few feet and they rebuilt the city. Because the idea was that this city is cursed. We don't want to build on this land. We don't want to touch these walls. We're going to start over here. And so it's why you could go out of Jericho and into Jericho simultaneously. Okay? In between that space is a blind man named Bartimaeus. Now, Mark lets us know that is the son of Timaeus, which we'll get to in a few minutes. And he says he was sitting by the roadside begging. So here's Bartimaeus doing what you did if you were blind in those days. You begged. Because there was no social welfare system. There was no structural systems where you received checks or food supplies. The only avenue of life and sustenance, if it wasn't your family, was to beg. And because Jericho was on the way to Jerusalem, and three times a year, Jewish people traveled along this road to Jerusalem to go for religious festivals, this was a pretty good spot to beg. Because you could catch religious people on the way to Jerusalem wanting to do good things. And so he would sit there on the side of the road begging for food and begging for money. And then it says, when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth that it was Jesus, of, so that you can kind of almost close your eyes and imagine you're sitting there and the sound and the volume gets louder and louder and louder and you hear different voices talking and the mummers become conversations. You can now start to make it out and you can now hear people talking about, can you believe we're walking with Jesus? Or there's Jesus, Jesus! Like you can, he can hear it happening. And so he knows Something in the atmosphere has shifted. There is a crowd there. 
And so he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Like he's screaming now because there's a huge crowd of people. He's blind. He doesn't know where Jesus is. He knows he needs to be loud enough that Jesus hears him. So that's what he's doing. And it says that many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Ironically, if you've ever not liked Jesus because of church people, Bartimaeus can relate to you. Because the people who tell him to shut up are the people following Jesus. It's the people traveling with Jesus who are like, shut up, be quiet. And he's, then he shouts all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now you need to understand, son of David is a very specific phrase. It's a very specific title. It's a reference to Jesus being different. It's the idea of, it would be the equivalent of Christ or Messiah. Like, he's like, I know you're different. Have mercy on me. Not a I deserve this. Not a you owe me, God. Just a please. Please, Jesus. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling to you. And throwing his cloak aside, which would have been his most valuable asset, by the way, the most valuable thing he owned was his cloak. He throws it aside. He jumps to his feet. And he bounces through the crowd as people are ushering him. Because he still can't see. And they bring him in front of Jesus. And for the first time, he hears Jesus' voice. And this very different voice says, what do you want me to do to you? Do for you? Jesus. And the blind man says, Rabbi, huge honor. Again, recognizing who's in front of him. I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, let's say for a moment you don't believe any of that happened. Let me just give you the one thing that's probably going to change your life if you can grab hold of it, even if you don't believe this. Now, I think this will change your life even more. So there's a guy named A.P. Giannani. This is him in his older years. He literally shaped the San Francisco skyline. He was the CEO of Transit, um, Transit, Transamerica. And he was also the CEO of the Bank of Italy, which eventually became the Bank of America. Now, What's fascinating is this dude is really interesting. Um, when the city of Chicago experienced a great earthquake and fire, he owned the bank at the time. And banks were being robbed and looted because the city was in chaos. So he snuck produce carts up to the bank because he didn't have a safe at the time because it was a very small bank. And he smuggled the gold bars they had into the back of the produce cart um, and, and then smuggled it to his house, and then hid it in his fireplace. While the rest of the banks were being robbed and looted, the Bank of Italy somehow survived that whole ordeal um, with having this whole set of gold that had been hidden in his house that smelled, still smelled like oranges because it had been jammed inside of the oranges at the time. And 
he comes back a couple weeks later and begins to establish any, like anybody who wants to rebuild the city, his bank starts giving them loans from the gold bars he still had. Now, he does a bunch of crazy things. Actually, um, this is totally tangential, but the whole idea of branch banking, his idea, the whole idea of loaning money to women, his idea, right? Like that's, in that day was crazy. Like not even on the radar of banks in America. He's the first one to establish a banking department specifically so that women can get loans to start businesses and establish checking accounts without their husbands so they, they could actually have financial freedom. I mean, crazy, like the, the list of things this guy does is all the reasons that bank is the way banks are was because of him and banking. But that's not the cool part of his story. I, I want to take you to a moment when he's about 19 years old and he's working for a, uh, like a produce stand. His stepdad um, was a, a major producer, that type, uh, for the area, and he had this idea that, you know what, we could have better business, have more products if we went to farms that were further out of the city, and because it was still horse and carriage at the time, um, he said, you know what, um, I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to drive out, I'm going to kind of push out to farms on the horses, and I'm going to set up new deals with, with farmers all around the region." so we can have access to more produce, more product, so we can sell them in the city. And so he does. And this small little uh, kind of vegetable fruit production, like fruit distributing company, kind of starts to grow drastically. Well, like any industry, people start to copy what he's doing. And so there's a story of him when he's, he's 19, and he's on the way, it's early morning, and he notices down the road one of his competitors on a horse. And there's a bridge, he knows, a couple miles up, that over that bridge is where the farmer is. And that there's no way he's going to catch them. And so he intuits that, like, well, he's got to do this. So if I just do this, I can beat him. Well, the problem with doing this is there was a river. And so he gallops to the river, strips down naked, Swims him and the horse across the river, reclothes himself, and by the time his competitor arrives at the farm, he's soaking wet, shaking the hand of the farmer to close the deal with him. Because this is what he did. This is how he did it. And he does that same type of thing throughout his entire life, and it's the reason that home mortgages, his company, auto loans, his company, the idea of giving capital and credit to car companies so that they can sell cars, his idea. He does crazy idea after crazy idea after crazy idea, all born from the same thing that Bartimaeus had, this desperation that this has to happen. This is going to happen. And I'm going to give everything I have to do it. No more excuses. I'm going to be responsible for what I can do. And I'm going to grab hold of that. And that's exactly what Bartimaeus does. Bartimaeus is sitting on the side. He's heard about Jesus. He's like, this is my one shot. I may never, ever, ever get another chance to get Jesus' attention. So when they tell him to shut up, 
he shouted all the more. I love it. All of these people in his life telling him, it's not going to happen, you're not worthy, because just being a beggar meant you were already on the metaphorical and literal side of the road. Your life was passing you by, and you weren't invited to be a part of it. It wasn't for you. There was no openness for you to be a part of that society. You were on the outskirts, and that's where you belong. And he's not listening to the crowds. He's not listening to what other people are saying. He starts to shout all the more. He's like, well, oh, my goodness. They're not gonna, Jesus isn't going to hear me because he's going to hear them telling me to shut up. So he's like, Jesus! And now in that moment, we may think this is a little crazy, but what would you do if you were blind and you believed that the only way you could ever possibly have sight was in this moment right now if you could just get that man's attention? If you had a child and your child was sick and you believed there was only one doctor in the world who could cure your child, what would stop you from getting to that doctor? If you believed that you could save your marriage, but you had to do this one or two or three shifts in your life, would you do it? You see, I think that's at the core. It isn't discipline. It isn't having a detailed checklist of things that you need to do. It's not goals. Ultimately, what's at the core of things actually changing in our life is the realization this has to change and this will change and this inner resolve that I am stronger than my addiction, that my marriage is worth saving, that we will get out of debt. We will not be crushed by these credit cards. It starts with, I will not let anyone shout me down because this is the moment it can happen. I'm tired of letting someone else write my headlines for my life. Today is the day I grab the pen and I write them myself. I'm tired of letting that bottle write my headline, that pill write the headline, that boss write the headline. I'm tired of letting my where I've come from, what I've done write the headlines. I am through with that. Today I'm grabbing the pen and I'm taking control. Enough is enough. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, maybe you can't relate to that. But I think all of us have had moments in our lives where we can. Where something inside of us says, it's got to be different. It's got to change. And I would argue that this could be one of the greatest years of our life. But it starts with us saying, I'm going to get off the side of the road. And I'm going to step into this thing. And I don't know how, but I do know it will change. This is what he has. This extraordinarily deep, rich desperation. And here's the cool part. I think and the reason I love this story so much is because when I became a Christian, I remember reading it and being like, these two words, Jesus stopped. 
How many blind people were on the side of that road? I don't know, but there were more than one. How many people were begging? I don't know, but a lot more than just one. But somehow, this man literally stops God in his tracks. And the fact that Jesus says to him, he says the words, right? What do you want? That's crazy. You know how humanizing, how dignifying it was for Jesus to stop, to bring him to him, and to ask him the question that seems so obvious? Jesus knew what the man wanted. But the man, in that moment, by Jesus talking to him, he went from a beggar on the side of the road to a man who had a desperation to see his life changed. He went from someone who was subhuman, who was at the bottom of the chain, to now everyone in the crowd realizing this guy mattered. Don't discount Jesus' small little action to ask him that question. It was significant. I mean, it's the reason why even to this day, if your boss stopped by, the CEO of your company showed up, or if the President of the United States, regardless of your political persuasion, arrived at your workplace and actually had a conversation with you, you would think, wow, that was pretty special. And we understand that. And that's the same reality of that moment too. That God loves you. God cares about you. God stepped into your world. And that with his death on the cross, which happens in a week and a half after this moment, like there was an establishment of your dignity and your worth and your value too. Regardless of what you had done or what's been done to you. But let's run an experiment. There was a Stanford business class. This is where it comes from. And they said, hey, in a few hours, you're going to come back here, and you're going to have to give a two-minute presentation. And here's the grade. I'm giving everybody in the class $5. And in three hours, I want to see what you turn it into. Now, these are Stanford business grads, students, so they've got drive. They've got intelligence. They've got all these things. And some of them do what you think you would probably do and I would do. They, well, let's go sell lemonade, right? Let's go buy a lottery ticket, scratch off a few scratch-offs, and see what the $5 turns into. But the winning group turned that into this. Let me count it for you. It's almost $650. They turned $5 into $650. Now, they blew everyone out of the water. And the way they did it has a lot to do with Bartimaeus. You see, everyone else just saw what was right in front of them, a $5 bill. Everyone else in the class was trying to figure out how to take the $5 bill and turn it into something significant. How do I multiply this? But the group that actually won that competition, that got the grade that day, was a group who realized that there was actually something bigger at play. They saw what they really had. 
They saw what was really in front of them. And a hint was it wasn't a $5 bill. The most valuable thing in front of them was not the $5. It was the three-minute presentation they were going to get to have three hours later. They recognized, you know what? We have a three-minute presentation to a group of Stanford business students who are going to be a hot commodity once they graduate. So let's call up a recruiter who wants to recruit Stanford business students. Let's find a business who wants to hire from this class, and let's sell them our three-minute presentation. And so they sold that three-minute presentation for $650. And what those Stanford students understood in that group is the same thing that Bartimaeus did. Bartimaeus, even though blind, could see what was right in front of him better than anyone else could. That's why he says, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? It's when he says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. This word healed, it, it's, it's not just in physical healing. It's a comprehensive, internal, external. The, the hole in his soul and the hole in his vision were healed. And that, and that healing, immediately he received his sight. And here's the thing. And he followed Jesus along the road. This guy, the first thing he sees when he gets vision is Jesus. I mean, let's just be real. Everything else is downhill after that moment for the rest of his life. Because the first thing that he lays his eyes on is Jesus. And that this man wasn't just interested in a physical transaction. Ultimately, what he does is he follows Jesus. He leaves his most valuable thing behind, and he follows Jesus to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know the rest of the story, but I do know there was a rest of the story because Mark never, ever names the people who gets healed in his gospel accounts. Mark wasn't interested in that. Mark's a, a man who, who writes his biographical account, his letter of Jesus, the same way Peter lived his life, fast and furious, right? Like on it, driving, saying things he shouldn't say, doing things he shouldn't do because he's got all this impulse. And yet, Mark makes sure to put Bartimaeus' name and then in parentheses to say, oh, by the way, this is the son of Timaeus. And the scholars believe that the reason that Mark does that is because whatever happens here is the first moment that leads cascading to a future moment where this man and his father end up becoming significant movers in the early church. That Mark writes the name because it was a name that people reading the letter would have recognized. So something happens on the side of the road that doesn't stay there. It starts a journey of transformation that will play out for decades, impacting I don't know how many people. And here's my challenge for you in 2022. Is it possible that Bartimaeus is an example not just of desperation, but of maybe the direction and the focus of our life in the first place? He doesn't just get his proverbial out of debt or have his marriage transformed or 
proverbially see his career shift. He has all those things, but ultimately the thing that he really wants is when he lays eyes on Jesus, he's like, I don't want to take my eyes off of you. And so he starts to follow him. And that I recognize for many of us, the concept of following Jesus can seem a little overwhelming, a little bizarre. But the reality is that what Bartimaeus experienced, that tender mercy, love, grace, compassion, is the same tender mercy, grace, and compassion you and I can experience from God too. Of a God who steps into our storyline, sees us for where we are, and recognizes there is no amount of good you can ever do to be good enough for God. Right? Not, if one tiny drop, if you just found out when you got home today, you had a letter that said, hey, just want to let you know we've been testing the water and just a couple spoonfuls of sewage has crept into your water lines. Would you be okay drinking your water? Would you say, oh, it's just a couple spoonfuls and all that water, I'm, I'm probably okay. I'm good. No, you would probably very quickly want to find out when is this going to be fixed and you would be buying all types of Poland Spring, bottled waters everywhere, because you would intuitively recognize that just a little bit of bad destroys a whole bunch of good, and that no amount of good water, even though it dilutes, does not remove. And that what Jesus comes to do for you and for me isn't to cheer us on to dilute more and more and more with the good. He comes to pour out all of it pour in his water, living water. And that that's the hope. That's the grace of God. Is that we acknowledge, like, God, there are parts of me completely broken and sinful and wrong, and I just need you. With the same desperation that Bartimaeus needs, pour me out, Jesus. That's the first step in becoming a Christian and following him. And maybe for some of you, that's it. That's the first moment. First step for you. And I want to help you in that. That's why inside the app you'll see Exploring Faith or EncounterChurch.com forward slash faith. Like, I want to walk alongside and get you started if that's what you're doing today. For some of you who've been walking with Jesus, who've been following him for a while, I want to challenge you that there's more to him than you already know. There's richer, deeper, fuller, more there. And that maybe today you say, God, in 2022, there's some things I want to see happen, but what I really want is you. I want to see you in my life. I want to build my life on you, Jesus. And to lean into that and make that your prayer today. And know if that's your prayer today, I want to help you. For some of you, that may be in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see us come out in an email with the sign up saying, I'm going to take the first 12 of you. And it's going to cost you money because it's expensive. Not because you're paying me anything, but because there's supplies that we're going to order because we're going to put you through a series of batteries of tests and things like that stuff that I can't give to you for free. I'm going to give you all the training and teaching I've had, which is about $3,000 if I was actually charging you. I'd charge you about $3,000 to go through this process. I'm not. So but I'm still going to ask you to pay something because I want their skin in the game. I want you to be willing to lean into this thing. For, for the non-12 of you, 
Maybe you're like, I want to grow my faith. I want to see my faith richer, deeper, stronger. Then I want to encourage you to, to look out for the 112, which is the spiritual growth course. And we want to help you get started and growing in that. And so you'll see that pass out in kind of next couple of weeks as well. Um, and then at the end of this month, maybe for some of you, the, the next step for you in your spiritual journey is that you said, yes, you know what? I've followed you. I'm following you, Jesus. But I want, I want my family, I want my friends, I want, I want the world to know that I am. I'm done kind of this being a secret part of my life. And for your next step is maybe baptism. To make it public. There's already a handful of people who are like, hey, January 30th, I want to be baptized. And maybe your next step is to join them in that process. And then you can do that through the app. You'll see baptism there. Uh, you can swing by on the way out today and let me know. Realities, I think for all of us, I hope we experience all kinds of good things. I hope we get to the end of 2022 and we see all kinds of goals accomplished. But what I desperately desire for you and for me is that not just that we chase purpose, but that in 2022 that we'd actually chase Jesus. Because in his hands is purpose, is life, and is meaning. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the hope that comes through you. Thank you for the grace that comes for you. Thank you that you are a God who hears in our desperate cries, in our desperate pleas, that you are a God who can be moved by such a deep desire in us to be moved and to finally move past wherever we are. So thank you that you hear us, that you respond to that. I pray that for those who need to take that step of faith to begin to follow you today, that Jesus, that would be their yes, Lord. That would be their son of David. Have mercy on me. For others who need to move into baptism, I pray that that would be their son of David. Have mercy on me. And that for the rest of us, wherever we are in our journey with you and following you, God, I pray that we would say in 2022, I want to see me grow more in you, Jesus, than anything else in my life. Help us to accomplish that in you. Help us to have the desperation for that in you. And help us to move towards that, towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to end with a song that's a prayer.